is not one size fits all. At Image, we rely on skincare professionals and clinically proven ingredients to create solutions that adapt to your lifestyle. But don't take it from us. Just ask the 30,000 plus professionals in over 60 countries across the globe who trust Image Skincare to deliver when it comes to results. And while we got our start with skincare pros, we think it's about time you got to know us better too. Tune into SkinFluence to hear straight from industry professionals on how to keep your skin healthy, radiant, and resilient through every stage of your vibrant life. Hello and welcome back skincare aficionados to SkinFluenced, where we talk all things skin. I'm Ashley Kurt, and with me today is my guest co-host, Jessica Lanham. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Ashley. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? I'd be happy to. I am a licensed esthetician for over 20 years now, and I started my journey just when I was a teenager. I've been with Image Skincare for over several years, and I have worked in the medical aesthetics industry for quite some time, even approaching holistic aesthetics. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Well, we're happy to have you here today. And today's topic, in my opinion, is a super important one. May is Skin Cancer Awareness Month, and we are hitting this topic hard with an amazing guest. But before I introduce our guest, I thought we could start with some facts about skin and skin cancer. Some of our listeners may know these already, but some of you may not. Number one is that skin is our largest organ. An estimated 90% of skin aging is caused by the sun. More people are diagnosed with skin cancer each year in the U.S. than all other cancers combined. And this one gets me. Having five or more sunburns doubles your chances for melanoma. That's pretty scary. I don't know about you, but I think we've all been affected by skin cancer in some capacity. Would you agree, Jessica? Absolutely, I agree. Either someone we know has a, has had a personal experience with it or it's affected us personally. Yeah, I agree. So without further ado, I'd like to jump into having our guest here. Our guest is Dr. Bertha Baum. She is a Florida board-certified dermatologist and cosmetic surgeon. She's originally from Cali, Columbia, and is a proud alumna of the University of Miami. She attended advanced courses at Harvard University before receiving her medical degree from Nova Southeastern University. Post-graduation, she served as the chief resident at Larkin Community Hospital. She is married with three beautiful children and enjoys spending time with her family and traveling. Welcome, Dr. Baum. Thank you very much for having me here, Ashley and Jessica. I'm very excited to talk about skin cancer and get to know a little bit more or get to educate our listeners with a little more information that maybe can help them in the future. I love that. I think this is something that a lot of people don't know enough about. So we are pumped to have you here today. So let's get into a little bit about you. How did you decide to be a dermatologist? Was there a life event that took place or do you have dermatologists in your family? Can you give us a little bit of information on your background? Absolutely. So I always knew I wanted to do medicine and I actually was interested in pediatrics and then I had kids and I said, okay, that's not my field. (laughs) And that's when I knew that I wanted to do a combination of procedures as well as spend 
spending enough time with patients and really getting to know them. So I love surgery, but if you're just a surgeon, which is not just, they're great, uh, you don't have that much interaction with your patients. And once the surgery is over, you sometimes never see them again. Right. So I wanted to find a field where you had the combination of procedures and patient care and dermatology was perfect for that. I had a mentor, which is now my colleague and partner, Dr. Weiss, and he showed me what the field of dermatology was, and I fell in love with it. That's awesome. Amazing. So that takes me to the next part of the question. As a cosmetic dermatologist, what makes you different than a regular dermatologist, or is there a difference? Well, basically, as a dermatologist, you can go different routes, and my specialty became cosmetics, but I still do clinical dermatology, which is basically skin cancer and all of the skin rashes um, and all of the dermatological conditions. So it does give you an advantage in terms of cosmetic outcomes when it comes to surgical uh, excisions and and, and other um you know, just a simple biopsy. You really take into consideration the cosmetic outcome of it without obviously um, not considering the importance of getting a true biopsy and getting a good um, amount of tissue for the pathologist to evaluate. So it's a nice balance to have. That's amazing. So our topic today is skin cancer. And I wanted to start by asking you, what would you say is the biggest misconception of skin cancer? I truly believe that to this day, patients that I've seen for years still think that their skin cancer is not related to their sun exposure. Right. They really deny it. They say that was 20, 30 years ago that they were exposed to the sun, and they don't understand that that accumulates in our body and it shows up later in life. So I think the biggest still to this day misconception is that the sun is not the number one cause, which it truly is. So um, that's definitely something that we want to change. We want people to understand that sunscreen is the best way to go in sun protection. The least amount that you can be outdoors and be exposed, the less chances of you getting skin cancer. Right. And I think we see that a lot as estheticians. I think you might agree, Jessica, with aging as well. Yeah. They don't understand that what they did 30 years ago is now being shown on the skin um, or internally as well. And that's a battle that we fight. So we feel you. Yeah. <laughs> every day. Every day I have that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that there are common myths and misconceptions when talking about skincare. I know I personally have ran into a few of them throughout my experiences. And uh, something that keeps coming up is, do dark-skinned people get skin cancer? Does it affect them any differently? And what does that look like on different complexions? Yeah, actually, I wrote a while back a chapter on skin cancer and Hispanics in, um, in a book. And it really, there, there is a misconception there. And uh, people truly believe that if they have darker skin tones, which tends to happen a lot in the Hispanic population, that they're uh, not going to get skin, skin cancer. And that is totally incorrect. Right. There's definitely protection on the skin because you have that melanin. So it's giving you a little bit of a layer of protection in comparison to maybe someone that has very white skin, what we call a Fitzpatrick 1 or 2. Um, they obviously are going to burn right away. Ten minutes into the being exposed to the sun, they're already red and burning. The people that have a little more 
skin color uh, or skin tone to their skin and they have a little more melanin like a skin type four or five they're not going to burn in the sun they're not they're just going to look darker but they're still accumulating sun exposure and that's still can be a cause of skin cancer. And we see skin cancer in Hispanics. We see skin cancer in African-Americans. And actually, when we find that type of skin cancer, it's more advanced. And it has to do with them not being aware that they can get it. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes they don't wear sunscreen. They don't use sun protection. And sometimes they don't even seek medical help because they don't believe that they could be someone that could get skin cancer. Right. That's extremely insightful. Thank you for bringing up those points. So when taking that into context, uh, what is a sign of skin cancer that may surprise people or people might not know about or recognize? That's a great question. So one of the there's three different types of skin cancers or of the most common skin cancers because there's many more. The three most common types are basal cell carcinoma, which is the most common type. Then we have squamous cell carcinoma, and then we have melanoma. And with the basal cell carcinoma, sometimes it can look like a pimple or it could look like a scar. So it's very important that some patients or or people out there, the listeners, can really understand that it's not only a pigmented lesion that can become a skin cancer. That would be more like the melanoma type. But there's other lesions that are skin color that can look kind of like pearly and have a little bit of um, uh, telangiectasias or little blood vessels on top, and they can be basal cells. And then we have the second most common skin cancer type, which is the squamous cell, and they can look like rough pieces of skin. Sometimes you can even think it's like a little rough patch, like an eczema patch, but it's not going away. So any lesion that is not going away and it's lasted more than a month on your face or any part of your body should be checked by a board-certified dermatologist or someone that has very good knowledge of the skin, a physician that is going to give you the right care for it. And obviously, the most important things we can think of for uh, pigmented lesions, which would be more of like a sign of a melanoma, are what we call the A, B, C, D, E's. Mm. So the A is going to be for asymmetry, and we want to think about it if we part that lesion in half, Mm -hmm. and we look at the two halves, they should look similar if it's a regular mole. But if it's not a regular mole, it doesn't mean that it's melanoma. I don't want people running if they uh, don't meet the criteria thinking that they have a melanoma, but those are little signs for you to go and visit a board-certified dermatologist and really get those moles checked. So A for asymmetry, B for borders. Irregular borders tend to be a sign that needs to be checked. C for color, Anything that has more than two or three colors should be checked, any lesion. D for diameter, anything bigger than a pencil eraser or five millimeters should be checked. And the last one, and I think the most important one for the patients to be checking, is E, which is evolving. Anything that's bleeding, changing, itching, and that wasn't, or that wasn't there before needs to be checked. Wow, yeah. I think that's a great way to break it down to make it relatable to someone that hasn't had the background or training in aesthetics. I agree. So with that being said, how often should someone seek 
checkups from a dermatologist? That's another great question. Um, uh, most insurances will cover up to five visits a year, but the recommendation is to go once a year and visit your board-certified dermatologist and get your full body exam, which means you're going to be checked everywhere. And some people don't know that they can get skin cancer inside their ears, around the mouth, inside their eyes. So there's plenty of areas that maybe don't get checked except by your dermatologist. The scalp is another area that we check. And so once a year, if you don't have a history of skin cancer, if you have a history of skin cancer, every six months or every three months, depending on the type. Thank you so much for that. Moving into our next myth or misconception, I commonly uh, get this question a lot. I love the sun, and uh, we know that vitamin D uh, is is great for to break the, to get during sun exposure. So, is this a myth or a fact? Um, I need to get sun exposure to get vitamin D. How true? How much truth is there to that? Oh my God! I think I I listen to that at least once a day every day, and that <laughs> is incorrect. Especially nowadays that we have supplementation that you can take supplements with vitamin D. Um, there is no need of sun exposure for you to get your vitamin D. And uh, we definitely want to have good levels of vitamin D, but they can be acquired through supplements. So the answer is there is absolutely no need for sun exposure in general. So wearing sunscreen is not going to make me vitamin D deficient, is it? (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Wearing sunscreen is a must. I tell patients it's like brushing your teeth. It should be done on a daily basis. If there's one thing you can do on a daily basis in terms of your skincare routine, it's sunscreen. Obviously, I would love for you to do more than that, but if that's the one thing that you can do, that would be very helpful, and your skin will definitely thank you in the future for that. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So besides supplements, what are other great suggestions to get your vitamin D? Any food suggestions? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think uh, you can definitely get vitamin D from a lot of calcium, um, in, in a high calcium intake, um, vegetables, fruits. Um, vitamin D is um, in certain, um, I want to say in salmon, but maybe mm-hmm. not as high. Uh, but definitely a well-balanced diet will give you the vitamin D you need. And some of us, I, I for example, take a supplement because I do not expose myself to the sun at all and don't want to. So I take a 1,000 microgram daily or intra-unit, I'm sorry, daily, and uh, that works great and my vitamin D levels are excellent. You definitely want to have that vitamin D level checked because it's a sign of your immune system as well. And there's a lot of skin conditions that are related to vitamin D. So have it at the right level will be very helpful. That's amazing and great tips because I think – uh, immunity is something that we're all searching for, especially right now in the state that we're in. Um, so that leads me to our next question, um, and that is that only sun exposure causes skin cancer. Is that true, and are there other causes of skin cancer? Yeah, so the, that is not 100% true um, because sun exposure is one of the highest reasons or, or the biggest reasons we have um, skin cancer, but there is a genetic predisposition to skin cancer. There are syndromes that uh, patients present since they're born that predispose them to skin cancer and they're covered without, covered of skin cancer without being 
exposed more than like the regular um, person. So there's other factors such as genetics um, as well as exposures. There's been arsenic exposures that can cause um, precancers and skin cancers, especially squamous cell carcinoma. Um, there can be a development of squamous cell carcinoma in scars um, as well as in um, inflammatory conditions. So it's not the only reason uh, or the only way you can get skin cancer, but it's definitely the biggest, most common type of way for patients to get skin cancer. Especially here in Florida. Oh my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> you can't go anywhere without getting sun exposure. It's just not possible. Um, so that's why we, as an esthetician, we're always telling people, think of it as your part of your regimen to put on that SPF because you really can't escape it here. Um, so I know some of these things we covered earlier about doing self-checks. Is there anything, I should we be doing self-checks? I know we should be seeing a dermatologist, but is it okay to do a self-check or do you recommend no? way they need to see a dermatologist. What's your recommendation there? Actually, self-checks are very important, not only when it comes to like breast cancer on, on women, but we've tried to make a point through the Academy of Dermatology and in general, when we do this type of sessions to really make people understand that self-checks are the best way uh, to check yourself. Obviously, with that said, that doesn't mean that you're not going to visit the dermatologist once a year, but about 65% of melanomas are caught by the patient first. Oh, wow. So the patient notices a change in their body and they seek help. Um, so that's a, a really good way of understanding how important those monthly self-checks are. And the way we recommend them is once a month, you can put it on your calendar because we're all very busy, Put select the date and then that day before or after the shower when you're completely naked, look at yourself from different angles with a mirror in front of you to make sure that you are evaluating your back, your the back of the legs, all the different areas that um, could have uh, spots or if you have a lot of moles, check those moles and check for anything unusual and that way bring it up to the dermatologist earlier than a year. Right, right. That's great. The ABCDs. Yes, I love this. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, and you kind of touched on this earlier, but what are areas that people may not realize that they can get this? I know a lot of people will say uh, Bob Marley. He had it what between his his toes, um, and he has darker skin complexion than you know your Fitzpatrick one or two. You're lighter skinned. Um, so, is there something that you see a lot that uh, an area which the normal person wouldn't think to check for? Yeah, I mean, you bring a, an excellent point, which is uh, the most common area where we find skin cancer in African Americans is in the feet. Oh, wow. Uh, in between their toes or on the bottom of the feet on the on that surface, so on the plantar surface. So um, why do I repeat it? Because a lot of people, if they are not getting like pedicures or something like that, especially males, uh, sometimes they don't get those pedicures done like we do. Um, so no one's really checking down there. Right. So that's an important area to check um, as well as some people don't know that you can get it in your genital area. So... The vulva is an area where um, there we see a lot of melanoma, especially on older patients. And then the most common areas is the lower legs for the females, because we love putting, not me, but I remember when I was 15, I love putting those legs out there in oh, the yeah. sun. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's one of like a very common area for females to get melanoma as well as the back. Okay. 
Great. So just little areas. Another thing that I think it's important is if you're a hairdresser, um, it's very important that you bring it up to your customer if you notice something unusual on the scalp. You're the only person that is looking at their scalp except for a dermatologist. And a lot of times I've had hairdressers send me first-time patients, and sure enough, they do have a skin cancer in their scalp. So please take your job seriously of looking at those scal- at, at the scalp and, and letting your customer know, hey, you know what, it would be a good idea if you get this checked by a dermatologist and, right. and save someone's life. And we... Uh- I don't know about you, I'm pretty sure, Jessica, but that's something that was always brought to my attention when I was in school for aesthetics was to make sure that you're, if you notice something that's a little weird um, on, the, or if the, a lot of times the the client or the patient will bring it up to us wanting us to be their dermatologist because we're like their BFFs as an esthetician. Um, if you're not sure, just recommend a dermatologist, I guess would be the best way to go about that. Here on the side of caution. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So is there a, what's the best way to tell the difference between if it's actually a skin cancer or a mole? So if, you know, I've heard people say, oh, I've had that mole forever, or that's a mole, that's not skin cancer. What's the best way for them to differentiate between the two? So um, I get that a lot also when I'm about to do a biopsy and a lesion that I don't like um, or that has patterns uh, that could be a skin cancer and it's been there for a long time. They're like, oh, but I've had that forever. Well, it's important to understand that a mole can change at any point. And once it starts showing these changes, we can see them through what uh, we do, which is dermoscopy. So we use a special device, and most board-certified dermatologists use it these days, to evaluate the the lesion a little closer before we make the choice. Okay, clinically, it doesn't look good. Let me look at it with the dermatoscope. And if it, under the, the, the under dermoscopy, it doesn't look good, then that's the time we tell the patient, okay, you know what, it's better to take that lesion off and send it to pathology. So it's important to know that even if a mole has been there a long time, it still can suddenly change and that's a good time to remove it before it's changing too much and then it's becoming um, a a more aggressive uh, cancerous lesion. And then some of those lesions just appear de novo, what we call that uh, they just suddenly appear. Important also to understand that if you're younger than 35, you can still get new moles. So we get moles from the moment we're born all the way to 35 years of age. After 35, it's not normal to get a new mole. Either that's a sunspot or that's something that needs to be checked. Um, And there's other things that are not in that category, like seborrheic keratosis, which are benign spots that we get, and I call them through experience, because we get as <laughs> yeah. we get older. Uh, but definitely, you want to understand that it doesn't mean, if it's been there all, 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 all your life, it doesn't mean that it cannot change. Right. And, and so, if you've noticed, that's why the evolving aspect of the ABCDEs is so important, because if you notice it's bleeding, it may be a sign that it's changing. If you notice that it's itching, it may be a, chi- a sign that is changing. So it should be checked. That's great. That's um, something that I definitely just learned from as well, especially being, you know, that age range of the up until 35. Um, so changing gears a little bit, 
When it comes to sunscreen, the higher the SPF, the better. I hear this every single day of my life. So I'd love for you um, to chime in. I know you'll know this better than we do. And then what is the difference in the SPF numbers? Does that make a difference? So SPF stands for sun protection factor. And basically the way they measure this is the following. For example, if you're like me, that I'm at skin type 3, when I go to the sun, it takes me about 30 minutes to start burning. So they just extend your burning time so that you don't start burning in 30 minutes. Instead, that you hopefully don't burn at all, but that you would, they measure you, when do you start burning? And so depending on that, they give that number, but it's not, the number doesn't mean the minutes, okay? So right. it's important to understand that part. So what's important to understand as a consumer is that when you change from SPF 50 to SPF 100, the amount of percentage coverage in between those two is literally less than 1%, meaning it's about 97.5% for 50, SPF 50, and then it's about 98 point something for SPF 100. What that means is that you need to find any sunscreen that works for you, either chemical or physical sunscreen that works for your skin, and reapply every hour. Because around 60 minutes, no matter what, uh, that sunscreen has been sweat or um, washed. If you've been in and out of the water, it doesn't matter how much waterproof they claim they are, and they've def definitely changed the FDA regulations on this because people used to believe, okay, I apply sunscreen. Yeah, but did you reapply? No, it said waterproof. Well, that doesn't right. matter anymore. So it's important to understand that you want to select anything over 35, and it's not so important the number as it is reapplying every hour. And also very important to understand the amounts that you need to put in because that's how they measure it. So they say uh, you need about a shot glass for your body. That means that's about one to two ounces. Most of sunscreens have one to two ounces. So if you're not applying right. <laughs> that amount all over your body, you're not even getting that protection that they're claiming to have. Wow. Sounds like application is the key and consistency. Not the number. So application and consistency, like you said, that's going to make you not burn if you're going to be three to four hours in the sun, which is a lot. Right. So what you want to do is you want to seek shade, especially during the peak hours, which are from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., and that's mainly the times that people end up going to the beach or, or the pool. So you definitely want to keep that in mind more than the actual number. Right. So jumping into the next one, and I'm sure you hear this a lot, well, sunscreen contains harmful chemicals. What do you have to say to that? Uh, that's um, a common a common complaint, and there's a couple of things that we want to say to that. First, there's different types, like we mentioned. There's the physical sunscreens, which are also called mineral, and then there's the chemical sunscreens. And chemicals are everywhere, so don't think of chemicals as, some, as something bad or harmful because we are surrounded by chemicals. Water. <laughs> Water is a chemical, right? Yes. <laughs> so with that said, what you want to take into account is if you have very sensitive skin or you're very acne prone, maybe you want to go with that mineral sunscreen just because there's less chances of you getting an allergic reaction or um, getting red or 
anything. Now, it used to be that those physical and mineral sunscreens were more for sensitive skin, but not very cosmetically elegant. They right. left like a white hue to the skin. It wasn't great. Well, we've gone a long way, and now mineral sunscreens are excellent. And they really don't leave a cast or anything like that, so they're a great choice. Now, chemical sunscreens are also great. And unfortunately, they've gotten a little bit of a bad reputation in the past years because of the oxybenzones. Well, first of all, most of the oxybenzones have been removed from chemical sunscreens at this point. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of it had to do with the corals and the coral reefs. Mm -hmm. And we definitely don't want to ruin those. And then there was a study that showed that there was a little bit of absorption on the bloodstream from those oxybenzones. They still don't know if that absorption can cause anything harmful to your body, but if you want to be 100% safe in terms of your um, absorption of any type, or maybe if you're pregnant and you want to be very safe for your baby, then go with the mineral sunscreens. You're not going to absorb any zinc oxide or titanium dioxide, and they're very safe products that we actually use in babies for their diaper rash. So... Um, chemical sunscreens are great. I use them all the time. I love them for body protection. I do use a mineral sunscreen on my face because I have sensitive skin, but they're both excellent choices and you will definitely be better off using a little bit of a chemical instead of having to deal with someone cutting your face every couple of months. I agree. Me too. <clears throat> Absolutely. Great insights on that. So on the heels of that, are there other ways to prevent skin cancer besides using a sunscreen? Are there any recommendations, maybe a hat, et cetera? Absolutely. There's many sun protection behaviors that will make a difference. Nowadays, we have a lot of clothing that have UV protection. So that's another way of extra protection if you don't. For example, on kids, it's hard to reapply. I have three children. I know it's hard to convince your child after you applied sunscreen all over their body that we're going to do that again when they're having a lot of fun on the pool. <laughs> right. <laughs> so with that said, you want to use maybe protective clothing and then you have that extra shield of protection there that may give you a little more time in terms of that as well as umbrellas, uh, hats, and just right behavior. So maybe go to the beach between 8 and 10 or after 5 p.m. instead of those peak hours where you're getting direct sunlight. Um, other things that we can do is I always recommend my patients that have a lot of skin cancer or just a propensity to be outdoors, some people work outside, to also take um, a, a vitamin supplement. Um, the one that I recommend is HelioCare. I have no relationship with the company. It's just a great a supplement that has a lot of medical studies to back it up that gives you protection. So it's like an oral sunscreen, I tell them. Right. It doesn't replace your application of sunscreen, but it's just extra protection. So all these little changes can make a difference on the day-to-day -day absorption of chronic sun exposure. Thank you so much. That's very insightful. I uh, wanted to touch base about something we were talking about earlier in our conversation. Uh, I commonly have conversations about uh, the older generation and that they're more susceptible to getting skin cancer. But I feel like that's a myth. And could you give us some insights on who is most likely to acquire skin cancer? And again, at what age it is that we really should start paying attention more to this? 
So I, I love that you threw in that fact at the beginning about um, the doubling up your melanoma risk every time you get a sunburn or after five sunburns. Um, and that just shows you that your behavior as a child and as a mother, uh, you really want to make the, the, the kids learn early on that the sun exposure is just going to increase your risk of getting a melanoma. And out of the three most common skin cancers that we just mentioned, which are basal cell, squamous cell, and melanoma, the most lethal one is melanoma. And unfortunately, that's the one that happens more in a younger population. So the usually the range for that is between the ages of 15 to 35, which is very young, and um, it can be uh, deadly, unfortunately, if, if not cut early. So we want to keep an eye on it. It's, um, it's definitely a myth. But with that said, obviously, the more chronic sun exposure that we get, the, the more uh, possibility of getting a basal cell and a squamous cell, which are more common. Um, but melanomas can happen out of the blue. They can happen because of genetic issues as well as obviously those sunburns when we're very young. So we definitely want to take care of our children and let them know that each time they get those severe sunburns, they're just literally increasing their chances of getting skin cancer. I think that's really helpful to know because there was a time where our opinions on uh, how the sun affected our skin were much different. So my mother's opinion differed <laughs> much from my own in my generation. And that's I also think contributes to that myth of only older generations mm-hmm. uh, and sun exposure. Absolutely. So now that we know this, uh, how would you treat skin cancer and is there a cure Yeah, so um, we definitely treat skin cancer every day in our offices, and there's there's different treatments for it. So there's precancerous lesions that are still considered benign, and those are the actinokeratosis. Those uh, lesions we want to treat sometimes with liquid nitrogen or creams. They're chemotherapeutic creams that we use localized, and they treat that precancerous lesion. Sometimes when the basal cell carcinoma or the squamous cell carcinoma are superficial and the pathology will let us know of that. We can treat them with just the cream or the liquid nitrogen. It's not the typical way we do, but depending on the case, there's that option. And then we have the EDNC, which is a scraping and burning that we do in the area. We do it mainly through surgical excisions. That's how we treat most of our skin cancers. We surgically excise them, and then we have, thank God, the possibility here in the United States of having Mohs surgery, which was created to spare tissue. So in important areas like the areas of the face or ears, neck, uh, we do want to spare as much tissue as possible. Obviously, we don't want these big cuts all over our face where it's going to disfigure us. So Mohs surgery is a great way of taking a small sample once we know it's a skin cancer, looking at it right there and then in the lab. takes about 45 minutes for the histologist to prepare the slide and being able to see if all the skin cancer cells are gone. If there's still a positive skin cancer cell, 
they go specifically to that area and take a little bit more instead of cutting more of the whole lesion. So it's great to spare. And then most surgeons have been trained to do very nice flaps and changes in the skin so that it looks um, very nice at the end in terms of like the scar that is left. But most importantly, that the skin cancer is totally gone when they go home and that's it. And obviously in severe cases of melanoma, we send those cases out for um, lymph node biopsy and uh, oncology treatments. Great. Last question about this myth. Have you seen cases where skin cancer can spread and how, how does it spread if so? Oh yeah, absolutely. Over the years, you see so many cases and it's Um, Definitely a shame when it comes to basal cell carcinomas and squamous cell carcinomas because they tend to grow slower. So it really is basically that the patient did not seek help in the right timing most of the time. And it has to do with a lot of things. Some people financially at that moment can't see a dermatologist. Others, it's because they're scared of what the dermatologist is going to tell them. So by the time they show up, it has spread either to the lymphatics or other organs. Um, and like I said, there's um, better treatments nowadays for that. So there's uh, pills and medications that we can give the patient. But with melanoma, sometimes they can just happen very fast. And unfortunately, even if they seek help right away, sometimes it has spread to other areas. But the faster you go to the dermatologist, the better off most of the times you are in terms of the outcome and not spreading to other organs. So you're saying get your skincare uh, checks, yes, folks. <laughs> absolutely. So coming off of just talking about sun exposure and some of the other ways that we can get it, what about blue light exposure? So yeah, uh, definitely has gotten a lot of, um, the, the blue light has gotten a lot of um, a, People are very interested in it mm-hmm. in the past five to 10 years, and we've done a lot of studies on it, and we've noticed that it may not specifically cause skin cancer because of the rays that we're getting, uh, but it definitely causes aging. Right. It's mainly UVA. So um, definitely you want to uh, put your sunscreen, even if you're indoors, because we have a lot of those LED lights, as well as uh, just regular uh, phone lights and computer lights, and you're going to get that exposure. So you're going to, you can get those sunspots that are coming from that light, (laughs) as well as just aging spots. That's a perfect segue for my next question. Um, What is your best skin tip for not only skin cancer, but anti-aging? I mean, I love retinol. So if you can do a retinol at night, it's great. Uh, It's going to shed off that skin faster, and it's just going to give you a nice uh, glow, as well as help with like the superficial lines. Um, and brown spots. So it's kind of like the best thing you could do if your skin can tolerate it. There's definitely a lot of different options of retinols out there, and some of them are very tolerable, even if you have rosacea or very sensitive skin. And then a vitamin C in the morning because it gives you extra protection. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an antioxidant, and it's really getting rid of those free radicals. So it's like perfect pair with like a nice sunscreen. And off you go. Yes. We love both those ingredients. We don't do. Ashley? We <laughs> do. They are our faves. So here's a little scenario for you. If a client comes in and uh, they're there to see their esthetician and they have a pigmented lesion um, that either needs to be removed um, or maybe it j- has just been removed, 
how can we let the esthetician know it's safe to treat? So maybe they just had something removed and now they're coming in to see their esthetician for a facial and let's say it was on the face. Um, when does that esthetician know that they can go ahead and treat the skin with a facial or a peel or et cetera? Okay. Um, everyone's skin can heal a little different, but I'd say in terms of biopsies on the face after a week, that biopsy site is going to look like normal skin. Maybe it's a little red, uh, but they can definitely treat that area. Um, the biopsy may still be pending, so we don't know if there's a skin cancer there or not, but I don't think anything that an esthetician will do on that spot can harm in any way unless you're, like, exfoliating or something very uh, strong. But even then, I don't think that could cause much of, a, of an issue. Um, and then, obviously, if you want to wait for the biopsy, that can be a little safer, especially if you don't have a dermatologist right there and then in the office. You can just wait for the results and, and go from there. If it was just nothing to worry about, you can treat that area um, and, and, and do your um, peels or whatever that patient is in for that day. Now, if it was an actual surgical excision or a Mohs surgery, I would want to wait first for the sutures to be totally dissolved. Some people put uh, sutures that can be removed after a week, and some surgeons like the dissolvable stitches, and they can stay there up to six weeks. Oh, wow. So um, if the stitches are still there and you have a dermatologist there, maybe they can remove them because after a week or two, your body doesn't need them anymore on the face. So they can be removed, and once they're removed and the area is healed, um, they can be treated again by the esthetician. Awesome. Well, that's great. Yeah. So our final question for you today is, what is something you wish more patients knew about skin cancer? I, I mean, I, I think we've definitely covered all the areas that I would want um, our, our uh, customers and, and people out there to learn about skin cancer, but I think it's important to understand the concept of chronic sun exposure and accumulation that we can get. And some patients will tell me, oh, well, you know what? I'm never in the sun. And I say, really? <laughs> you don't go out from your home at all? Right. Well, I go grocery shopping. I pick mm -hmm. up my kids. Well, that's enough exposure right there. Even we have seen uh, patient pictures of, uh, I don't know, this is like a very common picture out there of an older female that has been exposed to the sun uh, without any sun protection. And you can see how much her left side is more affected just because of the driving. Mm -hmm. right. So in general, we see more left um, side of the face, sunspots and issues just because we are getting that sun exposure on a day-to-day -day basis. And here in South Florida, even if you go to the supermarket, it takes you to get there like 10 minutes because of traffic. Right. So we're always exposed to the sun. And even in areas that are not sunny, you're still getting sun. So you definitely want to understand the concept that you're accumulating sun over the years and also that skin cancer can affect at the younger population, because I think as as you're young, you really don't think anything bad can ever happen to you, right? And 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 you feel like uh, you can conquer the world, which is great. But understand that it can happen to anyone, and by making those changes in your routine, uh, you can prevent a lot of that. I think the 
the one thing I tell people, if they're not moved by the fact that they could get skin cancer, I say, well, you can get wrinkles. So let's just take care of both of them by using our SPF. That'll that'll do. (laughs) Well, I can't thank you enough for being here with us today. I have learned so much. I thought I knew a lot, but I learned a plethora of new information. So I hope that our listeners are going to get their skin checks and uh, let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you. Are you on social media? What's your website? What's the best way to reach you? Thank you very much. It's been an honor being here with both of you, and you have a lot of knowledge as well. Um, I, uh, my Instagram handle is Dr. Bertha Baum, so you can find me there. I work in the Hallandale and Boca locations with uh, Hollywood Dermatology and Rendon Center. And um, in my Instagram, you can find all the information as well as drbaum.com or hollywooddermatology.com. Um, you'll find all the phone numbers and everything there. That's amazing. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Um, I also want to make sure that you tune in for next month, where we are setting the record straight and getting down to the bottom of skin myths. Make sure you follow us as well on social media at at Image Skincare. And I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of their day. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Skin Fluenced. If you are skincare obsessed just like us, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast. We also love hearing from our skincare fans, so send us your questions and comments to skinfluenced at imageskincare.com.